0: Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church sermon podcast. This is season two with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our new Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Ben, for leading us in worship. And uh, the, the songs that we sang this morning are quite fitting, talking about the kingdom of God, talking about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ to a future, a future resurrection that takes place because of Jesus and what he has done. His sacrifice on the cross and then three days later, he rising as well. And in that, there is a hope. There is a hope that we have in Jesus Christ that we too will rise again with him and be exalted, and so in in a way, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, last week we took a little break. We had turkey run last week. That meant it's a it's a camping trip, and there's a lot of people that take a hiatus down to Indiana and camp. Uh, we had beautiful weather, and I think Rob was up here uh, last Sunday and preached from Psalm 90. So there was a little bit of a break, but now this morning, we are at the end of our Daniel series. We are going to be looking at the last chapter, chapter 12. And so while we do that, uh, let's do a little review. Uh, We're going to dust off the cobwebs and kind of take a step back and look at all of Daniel and, and kind of see where we end up in chapter 12. So remember that main idea or the main thing that we continually repeat. Every, hopefully it was every Sunday we repeated this phrase because I think it's so important for us to understand. This is basically the book of Daniel. It's this, as kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the king who rules over all. And basically this is the story of Daniel. This is what Daniel experienced. So just um, put yourself, put on your imaginations, turn turn on the imagination machine in your head. Imagine that you're Daniel, you're a young man uh, in Jerusalem, and this king comes and takes over Jerusalem, destroys the temple. Everything that you knew, every comfort that you had is now gone. He takes you into exile and And puts you in Babylon in his court, gives you a different name, teaches you a different language, and teaches you the ways of the Chaldeans. So everything that you once knew is absolutely gone. And now you're in this foreign land. And here's the wonderful thing about Daniel Daniel says, I am going to commit myself to the Lord. Whatever takes place, I'm going to make sure that I don't defile myself, that I continue to walk in the ways of God, even in this foreign land, even in this different language I have to speak, even in the the different customs and culture that I find myself in. I am committed to remain faithful. There it is. As kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the king, right, who rules over all. Daniel's committed to that. Well, he has to face one king, Nebuchadnezzar, who in his own uh, life, in his own reign, he encounters God, and Daniel's part of that. Daniel remains faithful, and it is through his faithfulness to God that Nebuchadnezzar ends up acknowledging that God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He raises up kingdoms and uh, lowers kingdoms and and wipes out kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar comes to that conclusion during the life of Daniel. But then his son comes along. His son, uh, Belshazzar. Okay, now what, Daniel thinks? What's going to happen now? There's a change in regime, and how is this king going to rule? Well, we know that he doesn't rule very well. There's a time when he's in in, in the court, and he's having a party, And he wants to gloat and make much of himself. And so he goes, go grab the goblets that are in the temple in Babylon, the ones that we took from the temple of God back in Jerusalem, and let's drink from them. Basically desecrating and and spitting in the face of God, the Lord of lords, who are you? We we destroyed your, your land, we destroyed your city, we destroyed your temple. And so cheers to the greatness of Babylon, by drinking out of the cups that were in the temple of God. And we know what happens. A hand appears and starts writing on the wall, and it was, a, it was, it was of judgment. And Daniel is there to declare that judgment. And guess what happens to, uh, to Belshazzar? He gets wiped out that night. Wiped out by the king of kings and lord of lords. And then there is Darius. So Darius comes in, and we know some of the stories that take place during the time of Darius with, uh, with uh, Daniel, right? There's enemies that he has, and Darius likes Daniel, but but Daniel has powerful enemies that traps the king and causes this uh, this law to take place that Daniel's not allowed to pray to his God. Daniel's always prayed to his God three day or three times out of the day, pointing towards Jerusalem he would kneel down and pray to his God and now he's not allowed to do that there's a precept there's a policy what does Daniel do he remains faithful he gets on his knees and he prays what's the punishment that's Daniel in the lion's den right and God saves him delivers him from that judgment so that's King Darius but now there's going to be another king king Cyrus. So Daniel, throughout his life, starting as a young man, goes through four or five different or maybe even six different kings, kings that we haven't even, that aren't even mentioned here. So as kings and kingdoms rise and as they fall, we see that Daniel remains faithful to the king who rules over all. We see that. Now, that's after, at chapter 6, you go to chapter 7, and all of a sudden Daniel starts getting these visions, these dreams and these visions of what is to come into the future. And And what we see there is that this continues on. In the future, these kingdoms will rise and fall, rise and they fall. And there's this It's a picture of beasts or animals. These kings and these kingdoms are like beasts and animals, and they rise and they fall. And some of these kingdoms, uh, these animals have horns, and those are particular kings that rise up, and some of them break, and other ones grow, and then there's some that are greater that will grow out of that. And basically, it's this image of these kingdoms coming, and some of them are more powerful than others, and they're taking each other over, and some are so great that they start to persecute and destroy uh, the things of God and the people of God. And basically, God is saying to Daniel, this is going to continue on. This is going to continue on. And that brings us to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 is very interesting because we're going to read it here in a minute. But Daniel chapter 12 is a, a continuation of this long vision that starts way back in chapter 10. And why does God give Daniel this vision? Well, I have to go back to chapter 9, where Daniel prays to God and he confesses his sin and the people of God, he confesses their sin as well. He's in confession, he's, he's fasting and he's mourning because he knows that, All this destruction and all these trials and all this suffering has come about because of the sin of his people. So Daniel is in confession. And because of that confession, because of his humility towards God, before God, God gives them this vision. And it's interesting when this vision comes. This vision comes during the first or the third year, during the third year of Cyrus. This is the last king that, that um, Daniel's going to be under. The third year of Cyrus. Now, a little bit of context. Who's Cyrus? Well, if you actually, and you can write this down in your notes, if you go to Ezra chapter 1, Ezra chapter 1, a prophet, he talks about Cyrus. And it says in chapter 1, the first year of Cyrus... God reveals to Cyrus and and, and, and implants in his heart and in his soul a call to reestablish the temple of God in Jerusalem, to reestablish it and to allow the people of God in exile to go back to do this work. God imparts this on the heart of King Cyrus in his very first year. And so Cyrus makes a proclamation throughout all the land. This is what's going to happen. Those who are Jewish people, those of Israel who are in exile, go back to your home, into Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple. Don't you think Daniel probably read this, right? It probably came up in his Twitter feed. Boom. The declaration, go back. Think about it for Daniel, a young man who was ripped from his home, who had this hope, who would pray towards Jerusalem and to his God. Would there be a day that we would be able to return and worship again in our temple? And all of a sudden, this declaration comes out, and Daniel's like, there's hope there is hope. And this brings us to chapter 10 and 11 and 12, because this is what God says. He doesn't say, yeah, Daniel, there's hope, woohoo!" and celebrates with Daniel. He doesn't do that. He goes, actually, Daniel, there's more to come. There's going to be more kings, and they're going to cause trouble. And then other kings are going to rise up. That's all of chapter 11. These kings that are rising up and battling each other. And, and, it's not, and it's not hopeful. Yes, there's going to be work done in Jerusalem. People are going to come back. There will be a remnant. And there will be a time when the temple is established. But there's going to be a time when it, when it gets destroyed again. And that's what God is communicating to Daniel throughout chapter 10 and 11. And so when he gets to 11, it says that this last king will come and then his time will end as well. And I think for Daniel, he's probably a little down. (laughs) God dashed his hopes in the building of the temple. So that's where we land when we get to chapter 12. Okay, so let let me read this for us. Daniel chapter 12. If you have your Bibles open to Daniel, because as we, as we walk through it, there's going to be times when you're going to want to look at it yourself because it's not going to be up on the screen. But let me read this. Daniel chapter 12, at the time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood on, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, "'How long shall it be till the end of these wonders?' And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward the heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people come to an end, all these things would be finished." I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand." And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the admonition, the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335th day. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and give you thanks for your word. We pray, Lord, as we walk through this, give us clarity, because there's a lot here. A lot of it is confusing and difficult to understand. But Lord, uh, what, what the main thing is here, Lord, I pray that it will be clear, that it will reach our hearts and our minds, and that we would, we would take something from it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so basically I broke this passage down into three different sections, all right? So first one is this vision that God is giving, okay? And he's proclaiming it in verses one through four, and it's basically a a vision of deliverance and judgment. Deliverance and judgment. Now the second one is going to be a question that's asked. How long? The third one is another question. What is the outcome? Okay, so that's kind of how I broke this passage down. So let's first look at deliverance and judgment. If we read the first two verses again, it says, There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so God, remember, throughout this vision, starting in chapter 10, God is showing times where kings and kingdoms will rise and fall. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be turmoil. There's going to be suffering. And then at the end, There is going to be trouble like they've never seen before. Hey, Daniel, you think it's bad? It's going to get worse. It's going to continually get worse. But here's the hope. Here's the hope. But there will be deliverance. There will be deliverance. That's the beginning of the hope. Wait a minute. Daniel's probably think what? Deliverance, how is this going to look? Well, it's talking about those who are God's people, right, that shall awake and have everlasting life. And it's those that will be put to shame and have everlasting contempt. So God is going to do a work. And it's a work of judgment. He's going to divide the people. He's going to divide the people. Those who are of God and those who are wicked. Does this remind you of some passages maybe in the New Testament? Uh, there's a New Testament parable that Jesus speaks of. It's the parable of the weeds. So let me explain this parable to you. He, basically, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like... And he continues to give all these parables, and he starts with that phrase, the kingdom of God is like. And that's a very, very important phrase. So stick that one in your brain or write it down. The kingdom of God is like. What is it like? Well, it's like a farmer um, and he's got workers, he has a field, and so he he plants wheat. Okay? Planting wheat and everything looks good, they have the right kind of soil. It's it's raining and there's sun and But uh, after they plant the wheat, the evil one comes in or this this enemy of his comes in and sows weeds among the wheat so that as they grow, it's mixed. It's mixed of the wheat and the weeds. And the workers of this farmer, they see these come up and they're like, oh man, what's all this? Farmer says that the enemy must have come in. So what are we going to do? Should we just start tearing out the weeds? And the farmer goes, no, 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 don't tear them out because if you tear them out now, you might also tear out the wheat. And so let them grow. Let them grow for a time. How long does it take for wheat to grow? Have you ever stopped and watched a little kernel of wheat grow? Have you ever tried to do that? No, why? Because it would take forever. Yeah, like 20 days, right? But it's this long time of them growing together. Do you guys kind of catch the vision that go, is, is going here with Daniel as kingdoms rise and fall throughout all this time with the weeds and the wheat growing up together through this time of turmoil and suffering? It's, it's growing until what? till the time of the harvest. And the farmer says, at that time of the harvest, then what you do is you bring them all up and we will separate them. And the weeds will be, will be burned, right? And so he gives this parable to, to this crowd. And then later, later that day, Jesus is with his disciples. And his disciples, they were kind of scratching their heads. Apparently, they didn't read Daniel And they didn't make the connection with Daniel. And so they go, "Uh, Jesus, what what do you mean by that parable with the weeds? And this is what he says. This is Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 through 43. He left the crowds and went to his house, and the disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Do you remember where we heard that phrase, the Son of Man? This is way back. we got to go back into the Converge Community Church time machine. Way back in chapter 7, God gives Daniel a vision of this one like the Son of Man that's going to come and reign. He is a king that will usher in his kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this field. Do you see the connection? Okay, verse 38, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the weeds of the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, the end. That's what we're talking about. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father, of their Father, He who has ears, let them hear. Does that sound familiar? I don't have this, but if you look in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 and those who are wise shall what? Shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. Do you see the parallels between Daniel 12 and this parable? what is it referring to it's referring to the end the end of the age that's going to happen in the future and that there's going to be a judgment those who are wicked those who reject god those who are rebels against god and those who are put their faith and their trust in their lord right now we're all in it together We're among beasts, these nations, rising and falling in sin. This world is still filled with sin, and we're among it, those who are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there will be a time when judgment will come, and God will separate the wheat from the weeds. This is what Daniel 12 is talking about. This is going to come at the end. And this is what is being revealed to Daniel. And, and there's a negative part to it, but there's also that hope, right, of deliverance. All right, continuing on. So we know that before the kingdom is ultimately established at the end, there will be a time of trouble, turmoil, suffering, There will be many who will reject God and reject his king, okay? So that's the weeds that are those who are going to be in shame and everlasting contempt. But here's something that's very interesting that I think describes them in verse 4. So let's take a look at that. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Knowledge shall, So people are running to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is very close to a passage in Amos. Amos is another prophet. Amos chapter 8, verse 12 says something very similar to this about these people running to and fro. They're going to be looking for God and can't find him, is how it's described there. This one's a little bit different, though. It's saying that knowledge shall increase, and I think what's missing there that is assumed from Amos is that God is not there. They will not find God. And isn't that like today? Think about today. You know, if, if you take, if you kind of do a track of, of where we're at now and kind of go back uh, throughout time when it, and, and look at uh, philosophy and even look at art. And, and things of that nature. If you go back, there was a time when art and philosophy talked about God and the existence of God. And, and throughout the medieval times, there's, there's all of a sudden beginning this separation of, of people and knowledge and, and things like that with God. Up to this time, so think of our day Think of the education system. Think of the books that are written. Think of the textbooks that we read in our public schools. Think about the philosophy books, if you ever pick up a philosophy book of the day. Think of the media that, we, that, that come into our homes, whether it's Netflix or all these other things, the radio, art. What is missing? God is not there. So our culture has rejected God. And we're running around to and fro seeking knowledge and increasing in it. But it's apart from God. So here's my point. I think this verse is a declaration of judgment. It's a declaration of judgment in this way. You can have, or you can be intelligent, you can be considered an intellectual of our time, you can be seen as sophisticated, yet lack wisdom, right? Think of our previous series in the book of Proverbs. What's the beginning of wisdom? Or the fear of God, right, is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of god acknowledging god and who he is is the beginning of wisdom and the opposite of that is this statement in proverbs the fool says in his heart the fool says in his heart there is no god friends we we have the the kind of technology and knowledge we have to That has established our culture today is astounding. It's amazing. We should actually thank God for it because it is a blessing. But here's the tragedy of it all. It is without God and therefore a lot of it comes out of it is foolishness. And so here's the warning I want to give for our day. This is Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to what? The human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. We are to pursue wisdom. And and later in this passage, I want to say it's in... um, In verse 10, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, by, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So my point is this. We are called to pursue wisdom. Yes, knowledge is good. Learning things, learning facts is good. But what is even better is pursuing wisdom. Pursuing wisdom in a way where we can make a distinction of what is foolishness that is coming from our culture and our world and what is of God. And pursuing wisdom in a way that we avoid the traps and the snares of the evil one that he lays out before us. The traps and the snares of sin. So it's both. It's understanding our time but it's also understanding the snares that can come and lead us into sin. So to pursue that kind of wisdom. So that's, that's the first section. That's number one. That's with deliverance and judgment. Here's number two, the second section, which is this question that is asked, and it's how long will the trouble last? How long will the trouble last? This comes from verse five and six. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. So this is, Daniel's not even asking this question. This is someone else that's observing this. And he says, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And the man that's describing this answers, he answers back in two different ways. One, I think is kind of a general statement. He says, it will be for a time, times and a half a time. Now, what in the world does that mean? It's almost like, you know, as a, as a dad, when, when my kids ask me how long, I just say in a little bit, right? It's so general. It's like, what does that mean in a little bit? And I think this is a general statement, and I think it's symbolizing something. I think it's symbolizing that there's gonna be, that it has to come to full completion, that all this stuff is going to play out, right? So it's gonna be for a time, wait a minute, no, no, it's going to continue on. It's going to continue on for a time until a half a time. That means that it's, it is, there is an ending. It doesn't just keep going. A half a time, there's, there's a finish. There's a conclusion. So there's this idea or this picture of full completion, of absolute completion that must take place before all these things happen. So that's the first answer. The second answer gives more detail, though what is it verse 7 when the shattering the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things will be finished okay so the shattering of the power of the holy people i think this is this is going back to this idea of deliverance and judgment that during that time there are kings and powers that are are over the people of God. And when God shatters it, when Jesus Christ comes back, basically, right, as king and brings about judgment, when he opens the book, the book of life, and brings about judgment, those who are wicked and those who put their faith in God. And here's the interesting thing, though. All this stuff must take place All these trials and tribulations must take place. And I think it's for this purpose, to humble his people, to bring humbleness. So let me give you, I'm going to give you a silly illustration and then I'm going to give you a a more proper one. But have you guys ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Bruce Almighty is the story, it's a comedy of this man who actually God imparts to him the power of God right? So he has all the powers that God has. And so he goes about his his life and he's using God's power to try to make his life better, right? So he's got full control. And so he's doing this and he's doing that to try to make his life better. And on the side, he's trying to help other people too, but he's kind of blowing off the other people. But by doing so, while he's using God's power, he's making everything worse. The things that he wants the most, when he's in control of it, backfires. And at one point, he has no job, he has no girl. It's kind of like a country song, right? No job, no girl. Um, Everything is burning around him. People are in chaos. Buildings are burning. Things are destroyed. And he's running through the street. It's raining. It's dark. And he's running through the street and it's chaos and he doesn't know what to do. Here's a man with all this power, the power of God, and he doesn't know what to do. What does he do? It's, it's you know, it's, this is a secular movie, and they get so much wrong about who God is and what God's all about, but this is the one point, the redeeming point, that they get it right. He drops to his knees, and he says, I give up. I give up. I humble myself before you I submit myself before you. I am yours. And I'm kind of, that's not the exact words, but basically he, he gives up before the Lord and he asks for help. Friends, when trials come, when suffering comes, you know what it's reminding us of? That we are not in control. That we are, not, that we are powerless. And what it's supposed to do is drive us to God. God. Say, God, I'm not in control, and craziness and chaos and turmoil and suffering and pain is all around me, and I'm experiencing it. All I can do is come to you. Here's the right example, though. This is Paul. Paul, uh 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul's in it. He's suffering. He has this, this thorn, this pain in his flesh, and he's suffering. And he's praying, God, would you just take, would you just take this away? Listen to what he says. God says to him, after he asks to take this thorn from him, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul speaking, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ, the power of of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ and I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. for when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, this is a word for us today. No matter what calamity, no matter what struggle, no matter what trial you're going through, take hope. Take hope in the fact that God God is allowing this to happen to help us turn to him in our weakness. And Paul says here, it is through that weakness that God's power will be revealed. Amen? It is through our weakness that God's power will be revealed. And this is exactly what he's telling Daniel as well. He's telling us this today. So how long will the trouble last? It's until we are humbled and when Jesus comes back and makes things right. All right, here's number three. It's another question. This time Daniel asks this question and the reason why he asks this question is because he has no clue what's going on. He's saying, I don't understand can you just sum it up for me? What's the outcome? What is the outcome? What is the end? And I love how this man, uh, this probably an angel, how he responds back to Daniel because he doesn't necessarily give him a straight answer, it's a long answer. And I, so I find this a, a bit humorous how he responds. Um, so he asks, "How long, O Lord?" Or not, "How long?" But, "O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things?" And I'm not going to read the passage for you. What I do, what I've done though, is broke it down into little um, sections. All right. So the first thing that he says to him, you can just jump that. Yeah. He says, starting in verse eight or verse nine, "Go your way. Go your way, Daniel." In fact, he says it to Daniel twice. He says it in verse 9, and he says it in verse 13. So at the very beginning of his answer to Daniel, what's the outcome? He starts with, go your way, and he finishes with, go your way. Well, what does he mean by that? He means, Daniel, what you have been doing, continue on. Keep going. We, we talked about how Daniel is going, didn't we? Starting at the very beginning of the chapter uh, of, of chapter one, he was determined not to defile himself. He was determined to what? Remain faithful to God, no matter what, no matter the circumstances, no matter who was king, He was to, determined to remain faithful to his king, who rules over all. Go your way, Daniel. Continue to go your way. That's not the answer, though, right? Daniel's probably like, listen, yes, thank you. What's the outcome? What is the outcome? Oh no, it's not finished yet. Also, Daniel, those who will purify themselves, right? So it's the call to purify yourself. That means confess your sin, repent, right? Plead with the Lord. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is, uh, uh, his promises, he will be faithful and forgive right? So it's purify yourself. Then it's those who are wise will understand. So it's this call to seek wisdom, Daniel. Daniel, remain faithful. Purify yourself. Repent of your sin. Be wise. Seek wisdom. And in verse 12, wait. Oh, wait. And I think it's wait patiently, right? It's not the I I kind of did it bad, right? The oh that's not waiting patiently. God is calling him to wait patiently. Go your way, wait patiently because the time will come. It will come. And so the call is to wait patiently. So in this, in this response of what's the outcome, what first, what what first takes place? is uh, this vision of, of this man telling Daniel, okay, before I give you the answer, this is what you're to do. Go your way, remain faithful, do as you've done in the past, purify yourself, seek wisdom and wait patiently. And then here's the end. Here's the result. Here's the outcome, verse 13. But you but go your way till the end, And you shall rest. You shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Beloved, the call for us is the same. The call for us is the same. We are called to remain faithful to Him. Even amongst all the calamity that we're experiencing, no matter the circumstances, and we are called to confess our sins and repent, and we are called to pursue godly wisdom, which will protect us from many traps and snares of the evil one, and we are to patiently wait upon the Lord, so that we too, at the end, when Jesus comes again, that we too may rest. Rest. No more sin. No more struggle, no more pain, no more tears, no more death. We know that Jesus came to pay it all and that he defeated even death. And so we are called to take hope, not in this world, not in bricks and mortar and buildings or temples but in the future kingdom to come, when we will one day be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the hope that God is revealing to Daniel, and it's the hope that he's revealing to us today. May we hold on to that hope. Will we remain faithful to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We want to give you thanks because God, you are faithful. Your steadfast love endures forever and ever. Your promise, your promises are sure. Lord, what you have revealed to Daniel, it is, it can be confusing, and we can get lost in the details and try to figure out times and dates and, and kingdoms and when they're gonna fall and when they will rise. But Lord, when we look at this whole book and when we step back, there is one overarching theme that you are repeatedly revealing to us. We see it through the example of Daniel. We also see it throughout these visions, this promise that, that we are looking forward to as well. And that is this, that we may put our hope and our trust in the future kingdom in a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom that will last forever. And Lord, it, we're not going to see on this side of life, on this earth, but it is coming. And so Lord, may we continue to go our way to follow the path marked out for us, this race of perseverance that we may focus on you, Jesus, and and continually confess our sins and repent of them, Lord, that we would continue to pursue wisdom and to wait for that wonderful day of glory. Lord, thank you so much for this message. May May we now engage in worship, encouraged of the promises of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.